Welcome to Get It Done Entrepreneurs, where we talk with founders of companies who bet on themselves in one. My name is Rich Lebrun, and I am the founder and CEO of Lebrun Advisory Group. You can find us at rlebrun.com. Our mission is to help our clients build wealth through business ownership. Stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest. Our special guest today is Bill Reeder. He's the founder of Campus Cooks. He's a Phi Kappa Psi alumni from Northwestern University. And prior to starting Campus Cooks, Bill was an equity option trader. While he was at Northwestern, Bill saw a need in enhancing the Greek experience through food. So leveraging his skills and experience from the financial services industry, he paired this with his love for culinary, and Bill created Campus Cooks. Campus Cooks now fuels over 150 chapters, best Greek life at various universities across the United States. Campus Cooks is a professionally staffing and food service management company for fraternities and sororities, eliminating the stresses tied to managing the kitchen for student leaders, house directors, and alumni advisors. Bill says, I'm on a mission to impact collegiate life through food, service, and relationships. By merging restaurant quality dining with Greek life on campus, Campus Cooks has elevated collegiate dining and helped seed an entire industry. Bill lives with his family in the Chicago area. And with that said, welcome, Bill. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Rich. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the show. You know, you're in our backyard. We're, we don't live too far apart, which is nice because we actually have podcast guests from all over the world. So it's really nice to have somebody in my local market. Bill, you started a great company. We've gotten a chance to know each other a little bit prior to the show, but I know our guests and listeners are going to, our listeners are going to want to learn more about what Campus Cook is about. But right now, more importantly, they want to know your story. Maybe fill in some of the details about why you started the business, when, a little bit more about your passion, maybe some of the decision making you had to go through before you decided to, you know, tip the scales and go all in. Oh, not a problem. That intro uh, went into a lot of detail, but obviously there's more to the story as with anything. Uh, basically, Campus Coast got started uh, out of a need, like most businesses. It wasn't uh, the idea. It was just filling uh, a particular need that was a pain point. For me, I attended Northwestern University. I graduated in 1995. Through my experience in a fraternity house, we went through uh, three cooks in about four years for multitude of issues, uh, theft, um, no call, no show, and the last individual couldn't finish the year. He had to, uh, he had a pre-existing uh, injury and went to a VA hospital. I had worked for a catering company uh, during the course of those four years uh, throughout the summer, and I gave the gentleman a call uh, my senior year uh, as. In fraternity, if people aren't familiar with it, you manage your own kitchen operations. So imagine 18, 19, 20-year-olds managing not only the employee, but the books. So on our end, uh, as you work your way up as a freshman, uh, really doing pots and pan cleanup to cleaning out the grease trap to senior year, you're, you're more in charge of the financial end of it and the personnel. So by my senior year, uh, we were in need. So I gave the caterer a call. He looked at uh, what we were spending looked at the quality of food and merely said he could upgrade it, uh, provide us more variety and uh, a lot fresher. So at that point in time, he finished out the school year catering our chapter. And then through the course of the next, uh, we'll say eight to 10 years, uh, grew at Northwestern uh, through his catering operations. And if you're familiar with food and food service, 
uh, cooking off green beans at three o'clock and delivering at five or five thirty. You know, they're not so green anymore. So at that point in time, he decided to install uh, these private chefs, these unit managers in these fraternity and sorority chapters and became a kitchen management company. Uh, so that's how the thing uh, grew from a concept, uh, you know, from doing one chapter onto entire campus. Uh, that's uh, basically the timeline. Uh, to follow up how I got involved was I want to always be a commodities trader, equity trader. Uh, I ended up going to New York and trading for a number of years, came back to Chicago area uh, with my uh, uh, with my wife, who was getting an MBA at Northwestern, and I uh, worked in Chicago. I was then on uh, my second stint there, last guy in, first guy out situation in 2002, and started looking around about my next step and wanting to still manage myself, be an entrepreneur, I looked into car washes, into uh, pet grooming, you know, anything that would give me an entree to being an entrepreneur. Ended up reconnecting with this gentleman. Uh, he managed the entire back of the house operations. And from that point, I did the finances and marketing. And here we are today from one university to 20 plus, uh, yeah, 0203 to close to 20 years later to uh, 45 campuses, 25 states. And that's what we do. We manage fraternity stories by installing private chefs into those facilities. That's fascinating. Very niche market, isn't it? It's a very niche market. Uh, initially, the pain was legitimatizing what we could provide. Everything was private. And through a course of knocking on doors, uh, we spawned this industry where we made it legitimate. And now there's multiple people doing this, multiple companies doing this across the United States and campus specific. So it's something that was, uh, you know, you didn't think it would become what it is today on my end. My business plan really was around Northwestern, potentially University of Illinois, and maybe Indiana. And once you realize that you could go nationwide and just getting on an airplane, it opened everything up, right? You just don't need to drive six hours anymore. Uh, you get on a plane and fly to Texas. So that's kind of the how I matured. So just for curiosity's sake, does the fraternity and sorority that self-funding, then they fund this operation, pay, pay your pay for your services? Yes. Uh, if you think of uh, college students, you know, they pay room and board, whether they're rooming in a dormitory or fraternity sorority house. Uh, they have that, you know, part of their tuition. And then they also have the board part. So in a fraternity sorority chapter, they have the the kitchen layout, right? The commercial end of it, uh, we were able to provide the staffing, the management of it. So they just now become the end user as the client and um, communicate to us their needs. And we are the third party staffing company, if you think of it that way. Okay, great. Perfect. Thank you. Looking back, now that you've been in business for a while and been successful, um, can you think of any decisions that you made in the past that maybe you wish you would have done differently? Oh, there's multiple decisions that, that you learn. Uh, first and foremost, you know, being part of various peer groups, a member of Vistage, et cetera, et cetera. You know, what's one of the first things you learn is to hire slow and fire fast. So in the beginning, when you're starting to grow, you're just trying to fill these needs and these in these um, open jobs. And so oftentimes you're hiring without doing your full due diligence. And then you, you see the pain that'll come if you let someone go. And as you mature in a business, you recognize that you need to hire slow, uh, take your time, 
uh, compare this individual's not only skill set, but also their culture against your values. And then, of course, firing fast because there's a lot more damage by holding on to a team member employee uh, than keeping them on. So that's one of the main things uh, of a takeaway. And that was in year, we'll say, in the first five years. You learn that pretty quick. <laughs> learn that pretty quick. Yeah, there's a way of teaching yourself, teaching it to you. I'm not going to do that again, right? Like I did that before. I'm not doing that again. Uh, and oftentimes you don't really look back and, and have enough time to really go back and really evaluate it. You just know, okay, that was probably a bad move. I wonder why. Well, yeah, he was only, I only interviewed two people and this was the one I picked cause I had to go to the next one. Uh, right. so it's a pretty quick learning lesson. You have a little bit of a passion behind this and your mission is you want to create a better Greek experience. Um, I'm thinking in one hand, you're just, you're feeding these college students, which, you know, is there an experience there? But you obviously saw something more than just, is it the quality of food, the delivery of the food? When you talk about creating a Greek experience, what, is, what does that mean to you? Sure. I always relate it uh, to, to how I grew up. Uh, you know, I always enjoyed, you know, my grandmother who would come over and, and cook the fried chicken and all the lard and, of course, boil all the green beans again. And I enjoyed those Sunday meals, uh, whether it be a traditional meal, Thanksgiving holidays, but also with my family of the experience being around the table. And as you go out into the world, you still have those experiences around the table. You go to college, it's in your dormitory. And then when you join a fraternity house, you're not necessarily joining it for the quality of the food. Uh, as the year has gone on, food is high on the list of priorities for students. But initially when you're rushing, that's not why you're joining the house. And when we talk about the food experience, it's about, it's about sitting around the table and the food is not good. There's gonna be a lot of other complaints in the house. And thus, if the food's good, then you're making people feel not only nutritionally balanced, but also it helps with the camaraderie and the brotherhood. So being a Faisai and a Greek member, you recognize how important those meal times are because you're meeting different members of the chapter. It's not just uh, freshmen at one table, seniors eat at another. People are coming and going. So a lot of it revolves around the meal time and the food. Hopefully that, you know, uh, makes it a little bit clearer, Rich. It does. I think about, you know, the mindset. For example, if you go into hospital, everybody would say hospital food's terrible, right? And everybody would go, why would they do that? You're supposed to be getting healthy. So I would say that college food, I would never have thought of even being you know, good, I think it would be substantive at best. <laughs> okay. But, but we all grew up in family experiences. We even do that today as adults. And as we go out with our friends, we go out to a meal and make it an experience. So you brought that, that to life in a college campus or college uh, Greek system. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, are, think there, of it this there... way. Think of it this way, Rich, when you go to your a restaurant with your, you go out, um, and you go out in a group. If the food is fantastic, but the atmosphere and the service is below par, that's not a great experience. So the, while food is a key component and you have to hit a minimum bar, you know, you, you have to do what you have to do. It's really now like, how do you create that experience where that chef fits that chapter house, you know, and, and, and not only emotionally, but culturally, right? Uh, you know, how's the food served? You know, how are you creating theme dinners? How are you making more people part of the chapter wanting to come to the chapter with birthdays? And as you know, as you know, uh, Thanksgiving type meals, you know, Halloween, and then you start going to the new year uh, with Mardi Gras. So all these things go into this experience 
of adding value, not only for chapter members, but also adding to their experience and their memories. So I would think about it that way. Yeah, and the Creek system is a business system. They they, they call it the rush week, right? The rushing pro prospects to come into their Greek system. Yes. So I think you, if you do what you do right, I think that's a, that's a something they could add to their conversation. You know, maybe. very true. Yeah. Uh, years ago, food was just check the box. Today, it becomes now a, a rush tool. You know, how great is food affects the retention, affects uh, upperclassmen coming back. Uh, we have there's a lot more dietary restrictions, so you have to open up to a wider audience, and that's just been oh you know over the courses you know you're familiar with the past 20 years dealing with franchises and trends and how much more you have to you know cater to so many products to the population. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, on the other side, you've been very, very successful. So I know you learned the, the lesson maybe you do differently, but you've made some really good decisions too. Can you think of any key one or two decisions that you made that really helped be a catalyst for your success? Your success? Uh, well, first, you know, obviously buying the business uh, was a key decision. And I was, as I was going through my vetting process and I was working with a mentor of trying to figure out what's the right thing I want to do, what am you know, and as you go through it, uh, it has to align with your passion. So I was really passionate about giving back to Greek life. Number one, I was really passionate about obviously uh, providing for my family. And the third thing is I love uh, hiring people. So you have the altruistic reason you have providing for your family and then growth for individuals to hire. Uh, but main thing that I'm getting at is my mentor, as I'm going through these different business options, trying to uh, figure out uh, which one I should purchase. Uh, the thing that he said, as I look at my notes, he's, you know, don't be concerned about the money. You know, I'm 32. I go, what do you mean? I should be concerned about the money. This is, you know, a substantial investment to buy this. He goes, you're 32. You know, <laughs> if you were older, it's all about time. So what else could you be doing if you chose this that you could then get started on? Because if this business doesn't work out and you give it three to five years, you've lost three to five years of really an opportunity to invest your time and energy into that. So that's one of the big takeaways that I had uh, of just entering the space. You were young, you had a long runway ahead of you, get to go ahead and get started, right? Get started. And if it doesn't work out, that's what you should regret is that you spent three to five years on this project, not the fact that you lost X dollars. Yeah. And that was a good way for him to um, frame it for me to be like, okay, why am I, you know, you always think about the money first, but you forget about how does it align with where you want to go? Because if you're passionate about it, the time then is the things you can't get back because you can quote unquote, always make the money. Yeah. Money is short lived anyhow. You know, yeah. Yep. You know, you have to love what you're doing and I can tell how much you like what you're doing and that money usually just comes with hard work and, you know, and a good work ethic and good values. Uh, let's take a and, little break. Yeah, let's take a break oh, oh, here. Okay. Okay. No, go ahead. Did you have something uh, one thing I, yeah, one thing I wanted to answer, one of the lessons uh, that I've learned going over the course of this business is the need to, to hire strong people, right? You, you hire people. You never want to be the smartest person in the room. Uh, you need all of these to be learning from individuals. So as the key is your business matures as you work, you know, on the business, not in the business, you have to hire individuals that line up with your culture and your values, uh, because those are really going to be the people that move the company forward. So that's one of the biggest takeaways that I've had. 
Great. We're going to dive into that answer on the second half of the show. But in between here, let's take a break. Um, Bill talked about campus cooks. Uh, if our listeners, maybe they're decision makers in that space, maybe they know they are people, know people who are, maybe they have kids in college, who knows? Um, <laughs> who's your customer? Tell us, tell us more about the company and how that would all, all come about. Sure. Currently, our customers are the end user, which are fraternity and sorority members. Uh, these are the individuals who are joining fraternity and sorority houses who, you know, have a meal plan. So that's what we identify as our, as our customers. And those would be on uh, Power Five type campuses, uh, fraternity and sororities who don't want to be involved in the headaches of managing a staff person, uh, dealing with budgets, dealing with budget overruns, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so those are our primary customers. We are also now in a couple other verticals, uh, camps being one. Uh, it's a natural segue for us due to our uh, need for year-round uh, business and employment for chefs. And number two, since we're already managing uh, kitchens on a 18 to 22-year-old level, why don't we manage uh, kitchen operations for private and prep schools who are, you know, we'll say grades 9 through 12 or potentially uh, even day schools, that would be, you know, first grade uh, through eighth grade. Yeah, I would think your formula is transferable across a lot of disciplines. And that makes sense. It makes sense to do the camps in the private schools. Why not? Why not? Right. Uh, so we are uh, building marketing we're building branding and messaging along those uh, two verticals. And we're exploring them. And we've started on a couple of camps this past summer. We have uh, several others lined up for this summer. And we are actively seeking these private and prep schools. And we're, we've got some interest, uh, you know, out in the marketplace. So we're excited about the opportunities that are coming our way. Just curious, I was in a fraternity, uh, Alpha Tau Omega. Um, we probably wouldn't have qualified for your service. But uh, <laughs> um, who in the fraternity, who makes the decision? Is it the uh, current president <laughs> of the current president of the fraternity or what? I always laugh when people ask that, like everyone sells a widget and everyone has a different sales process, decision-making process. So I have a lucky, uh, I know where the fraternity sororities are, number one. Uh, and number two, everyone has to eat. So you knock those things off. What, what complicates this is if you've been a part of a fraternity sorority or every, or any organization is figuring out who's the decision maker, uh, who is the, treasurer who potentially is the legal end of it and what happens when we get into fraternity sorority oftentimes even these parties aren't clear about who's the decision maker uh et cetera, et cetera. so for us that's our challenge is working our way through that process to get to a who's ultimately going to make the decision and then moving forward who's in charge of the renewal and you have to remember in a fraternity sorority and in education that these chapters are rolling over you know, you're, you're a freshman to a sophomore, to a junior, to your senior. So memories are short-lived. Uh, what you experience as a freshman, that, you know, and as that junior in high school applies and joins that school and joins that fraternity sorority, they don't remember, quote unquote, how bad it was. So we always have to prove ourselves year over year. And that's always the greatest challenge is the retention because that freshman is going to become that president, et cetera, et cetera. And as they mature and go through, you know, that's a renewal basis. So you have um, complications in the sales process with figuring out who the decision maker is because everyone believes they are until push comes to sub to sign an agreement. And then once we get into it, 
as the end user, as the students, do they have majority of power to vote or is it still on an alumni board or even on a national level? So there's different parties from a house director to an alumni board to a national property manager to a national like ATO as well as the students. And you can understand being in a fraternity and living in the and going through those chapter meetings, uh, you know, how oftentimes things can get um, a little convoluted. <laughs> sure. Well, I would just say if there's any of our listeners are parents who have kids in college, you want to make sure they eat better <laughs> and they're in a, in a fraternity or sorority. Make sure you get connected with Bill here. And, uh, it's an indirect way of making sure your kids are healthy. All right. <laughs> Let's switch to the second half of the show. Uh, you've been in business for a while. Uh, you you come from the finance side, so you understand economics. We are facing headwinds all in one year that sometimes we only face incrementally over 10 or 20 years. Um, but how are you navigating your company uh, to deal with labor? You're, you're a heavy labor company um, in a space that I would think would be competitive in the food space. Uh, but how are you navigating today's headwinds as the, uh, as the owner of the company? Sure. You're speaking about inflation at, uh, you know, highs, year over year highs. And obviously, you know, your, your food aspect and you have um, loss of jobs in the service industry and hospitality. So, yeah, we're definitely having, I don't think any any different struggles from any other individual finding top candidates as well as monitoring our, our food costs. But what we've really done, A, we're part of a group purchase organization, with, which kind of keeps things in line. Uh, in terms of those negotiated contracts, from a labor standpoint, um, with things being uh, partially remote to fully remote, depending upon the position, we've opened up access to our internal team. And one of our values, one of our alpha we talk about is always growing professionally and personally. So we've had a lot of internal hires who uh, we've had a district manager who had a background in training, who is now leading our training development. We also had a district manager uh, who wanted to learn about HR, et cetera, et cetera. So he is now part of the HR team. And we've definitely taken advantage of individuals in-house who wanted to grow to fill those spots. So we've done a lot of our focus on understanding our succession planning and what we have within our uh, members, not only our 150 plus chefs, but also our 50 plus district managers and finance and sales, et cetera, et cetera, to understand our strengths and weaknesses, and we're constantly posting. And if people are looking to grow within the organization, putting them on a plan uh, to better prepare them when these positions open up. Yeah, yeah, because you have labor and you have food costs. Both are both are big topics today. Yeah. They are big topics, and for our success, uh, we have key metrics. Uh, and the two main is we retain sixty-five percent of our chefs who start the year, and we retain ninety-five percent of our clients year over year. And those go hand in hand. Uh, we are really big on culture. Again, we're big on our values, our alpha, and we promote those and live those. And thus, that goes a long way to not only retaining clients, but yes, it's all about that chef on the ground because he's really the face of Campus Cooks and supporting him and training him. And that's the key to our success. Well, that lesson you learned a long time ago, hire slowly and fire fast. <laughs> seems to carry through year after year. It does. And, and the other part, we offer uh, really a healthy work-life balance. Uh, you know, chefs no longer, uh, you know, don't have to worry about uh, nights and weekends. You know, some chapters will do six days, Sunday through Friday, but the majority don't, as well as they'll have uh, holidays off. 
you know, break periods off uh, that they don't normally get in the restaurant industry. And what happened with the pandemic, um, with everything going on uh, with these restaurants, uh, who is left? The general manager and the lead chef. And that got very um, disheartening because, you know, another part of our passion about food and service, uh, wine to serve is passionate for people in this industry, but it gets very difficult when they don't have the resources and they're, they're expecting the dishwasher or sous chef or whomever to show up. And yet no one's coming in through doors and thus they're working 80 hours and still oftentimes meeting some disgruntled uh, customer who doesn't really understand what's going on in the back of the house. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you're building a nice quality of life job and maybe in an industry where that stresses that component. Um, okay, but you're also an individual. You got a family, you're a dad, you're a CEO. Uh, you got to wake up every every morning, lead the charge. What kind of things do you do for yourself? Do you use mentors? Do you have certain oh. practices, certain books you read? <laughs> That's funny. I have a group of friends who make fun of me about all the gurus I have. You know, I have a guru for this, a guru for that, a guru for the uh, for, for what have you. So yes, I have a life coach uh, that came through Vistage. Number one, I have a sales coach as well that's turned into more of a um, really, really a confidant. Uh, as well as I work out three days a week, so uh, you know my trainer becomes you know a personal coach. Uh, <laughs> so you're adding into these things. I also have a couple peer groups, which is like my um, board of directors. Uh, that I meet with one I meet with once a month and another one every quarter uh, just to talk about, you know, different stages of life, different stages of the business, uh, because entrepreneurs, no entrepreneurs, you don't need to fill them in and all the details. They totally get it. And again, it's a widget. Um, our business may be different, whether it's an inventory production or service, but in the end, it all boils down to people and clients. So majority of times, and it's keeping both happy. So those are, you know, that's how I'm meeting and growing all the time. Uh, and those are the, you know, some of my outlets just on a person to person. You know, it is, there is a saying it's lonely at the top. And it's some of the reasons, well, some reason I created, some reason I created this podcast. You know, it's, it's be able to have CEOs and founders of companies share best practices. Okay, let's wrap this up here. Let's say you're talking to our listeners who are in corporate America and contemplating, they're usually middle management up to CEOs, contemplating, you know, it's time to jump off and do something different, be an entrepreneur. What would you say okay. to them? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, first of all, if you talk about a passion, you have to believe in it, number one. Uh, your luck you'll create through your hard work, number two. You don't need to come up with the idea. It's about making something better. Oftentimes through my mentorship with the um, young men of FISI, as I worked with them as a house corporation president, they were really struggling to come up with this idea that no one else has. Well, majority, this idea has already been out there. And if it was going to work, someone would have done it. So look at other industries and figure out how you can improve upon it or see a potential uh, um, area that that you can fix. Uh, so that would be my thing. And there's no time like the president to jump into it. So go ahead uh, and understand that, as you said, it's lonely uh, and just build a strong network around you of mentors, uh, of other entrepreneurs, because they will definitely help you avoid avoidable mistakes because we've all made them and we're very happy to give our time because why should you go through something that I went through? 
Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I love the idea of, uh, you know, just find something that's already done and make it better. People always ask me in the franchise industry, what's new? I said, there's virtually not much new under the sun. <laughs> I, I said, they, they make the pizza round, they make it square, they make it flat, they make it, you know, thick, and they make it cook in 90 seconds or cook it in five minutes, but still pizza. So, uh, <laughs> so but, people, but people keep reinventing pizza every day. New brands come out and, and someone goes, hey, that's a phenomenal pizza pizza um <laughs> so true so true isn't it and uh okay the other group of people are entrepreneurs like like yourself they own companies are listening uh and saying you know what should i add an additional revenue stream should i expand should i grow should i adapt should i retreat you know speak to them what would you be telling them uh i think that's a very personal question for people to answer uh, in terms of where they are at this stage in their life, you know, what they want to do as their kids get older, you know, how much risk they want to take on and take off. Uh, when you ask for me personally, uh, going through the pandemic, owning a food service business that was basically shut down uh, because kids were basically, you know, sent home from school, it spurred us, though, to diversify. That's why we're looking at verticals like camps as well as um, private and prep schools. Uh, we have also looked on, this is how, how, our connection, uh, looking into franchises that we can uh, utilize the way we do our processes and you know, maximize those. Uh, and it's a point of change. To recognize that your business can be gone, uh, no fault of your own, and not necessarily because you don't reinvent yourself, it's just how the market is. That's what's spurring us uh, to look into other areas because we want to ensure we can continue to grow and hit our growth targets of where we want to be. And that's why we're doing it. Yeah. Look at your core competency, higher rights. It's time to invest. It's a good time in the country and the economy and things are down to kind of adapt and adjust and there's opportunities and you don't have to create the wheel. The wheel's already created. Just do it better. That's kind of what exactly. I heard from you. Exactly. And, and what the pandemic did, it made it okay. There's a lot of change going on. I mean, there's really a revolution of change. Look how many people just have changed jobs, you know, sitting at home wanting some new, whether they're out of the workforce or doing a whole new career. And thus, this is where we want to implement or dive into some of this change. And uh, we're excited for it. I mean, it's trying something new and not regretting. I'd rather fail fast forward than not do it at all. Honestly. Love it. Love it. All right, Bill, how can our listeners get a hold of you, hold of you should they feel that they could uh, utilize your service or, or have somebody that they could send your way? Great. I would just check out our website. Uh, you can go to campuscooks, and that's with an S.com, campuscooks.com, number one. Uh, if you want to connect with me personally, you can go to Bill Reader uh, in, at LinkedIn. Uh, it should you know, pop up right away. We also have a Campus Cooks LinkedIn page. If you want to follow us, we have, of course, a regular social media. And I better mention it because marketing would be shame on me if I didn't say check out our Instagram page. Uh, but those would be really the three, you know, uh, I don't know why I said three or four areas that I would go to. Uh, we're very accessible. So go ahead and check out our website again at campuscooks.com and you could learn more about us. Great, great. Wonderful, wonderful interview. Thank you for your time. I'm always grateful for founders and CEOs to take time out of their busy day to share their wisdom and experience with our listeners. So on behalf of them and myself, I just want to thank you for your time, Bill. I thank you for having me. Uh, again, this is such a pleasure and, and uh, for allowing me 
uh, to come and speak on your show. I appreciate it. Very good. You have a great day. You too. Rich LeBrun here. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast, Get It Done Entrepreneurs. If you are a successful business owner who would like to be on this program, please visit us at rlebrun.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form and we will reach out to you. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show. Include the hashtag GetItDoneEntrepreneurs. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, rlebrun.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time.